The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Smallville Gazette, a PapaChulaRadio.com original series. PapaChula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's Superman and Lois. Please welcome my co-hosts, Millie Wood. Hello, Smallville. And Professor X. Hello, Smallville. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 14, which was titled Failsafe and aired July 20th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Superman pays a visit to Morgan Edge. Lois and Chrissy work together on a story. Jonathan finds a welcome distraction during a very stressful school day. Hella vague, but it all, uh, you know, it all actually did happen, which, surprisingly enough, is, um, is a win for whomever writes the press release for a CW series. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, we're not going to talk about anything that was discussed in the press release right now. We're going to jump into the Cushings, because the Cushings go through a roller coaster ride. In this episode, they're still dealing with the fallout from all of the edge stuff. They're pushed to the edge, like literally in this episode, because the entire town is blaming them, blaming both of the adult Cushings about everything that's happened. And so, uh, basically, the, the women in the family are very worried that Kyle is going to be taken to the edge where he's going to start drinking again. Kyle is trying to go back to work because he's basically going stir-crazy in the house. But uh, the mayor is like, no, you know, you need to calm down. When he runs into his uh, fire-fighting crew at the diner, um, you know, they're, they're very suspicious, and they really don't want anything to deal with, to, to do with him, and he gets suspicious that one of them is, like, gunning for his job, and poor Lana, she, she you know, she's just a mother trying to get shit done, and, uh, you know, after the mayor telling them that uh, they're okay, that he's going to defend them, that it's not their fault. She overhears that, overhears him, uh, basically saying that it is their fault. And so she, you know, gives him a piece of her mind. And uh, the the sort of in the air throughout all of the discussions is Kyle wanting to leave Smallville. But at the moment, you know, Lana is the one that's sort of trying to keep things together. She convinces him. Not to this is their life, as she tells Lois. This is all that I know. So let's talk about the Cushings. Both Kyle and Lana, they go through a lot in this episode emotionally. Millie, talk to me about them. What would you think of them? Do do you think what's happening to them is fair? Uh, Did you like Lana sort of trying to be the glue to hold this family together? Oh, yeah, what's happening is definitely not fair. Um, I do kind of get Kyle as they need to get out of the small town because everyone's all up in everyone's business. And just, you know, I think it was a good point made in the show. It's like they want somebody to blame and the Cushings are the easy target. Uh, so I do feel for the family. I like how we kind of get to explore that and how it affects them and, and see how each Cushing kind of deals with it. Um, and it makes sense. And I like how Lana is the one that is holding it together because I feel um, we're getting closer and closer to, like, Kyle, I feel like he either, and we talked about last week, either go to make a sacrifice, or I could also see him, like, 
losing, you know, just the sanity and just becoming crazy and, and turning um, into a like villain or just going down the dark path. Um, so I'm kind of curious where they're going to go with that. I personally think it would be interesting to see him go down the dark path, but I think that's because I'm not the biggest Kyle fan. But I do like that um, we can kind of see Lana trying to um, hold everyone together, especially considering how rough their family relations have been in the past. Um, I do like how we see that this is bringing them all together. Um, and we'll see. And, and I feel like the, they dropped the moving the, the town, moving towns as well. I, I wonder if that's going to come back up and down the road of maybe some kind of division between Lana and Kyle. That's interesting. Professor, uh, yeah, Millie said potentially, you know, there could be a moving out of town. Maybe it's just Kyle. She also said that maybe there's doom and gloom for Kyle. Uh, do you agree with any of that? What did you think of the Cushings? What did you think of Kyle and Lana and their journey in this episode? Well, they're playing the consequences nicely, uh, you know, and it's it's interesting. You know, we we seldom get the consequences on this very personal human scale on an Arrowverse show uh, because we're usually almost exclusively focused on the heroes and, you know, their their core supporters and stuff like that. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I can't think of another CW show that has dealt with, you know, consequences in this way uh, because, you know, none of the other CW shows have, have really sort of established that that broader community and the people being affected by it in quite the same way. So for the Cushings to be dealing with the consequences of this, and then, you know, I absolutely agree with Millie. It's, it's totally unfair, but it's understandable. You know, it's the people in the small town. Everyone made the mistake, but no one wants to admit to it. So obviously they're going to blame Kyle. Uh, it was, you know, a huge gut punch for him when, you know, the uh, the firefighter showed up and, and he's fire chief. They're his people, you know, including the guy whose life he freaking saved uh, are basically just turning their backs on him. And that's why I think, you know, um, either leaving town or making a sacrifice or or going down the dark road, I think something has to break with Kyle. Um, I don't think they can continue on in this way. Um, and again, from the Superman and Lois point of view, it's a, it's a more mature show. Uh, it's grown up, but I think, you know, the, uh, the Kent family dynamic is, is, you know, has, has plot armor around it. They're not going to do anything really bad to the Kent family. So I think, yeah, something bad could be coming for the Cushings. I don't know if they'd have them move out of town simply because they've spent so much time developing, you know, uh, the rest of the family. Uh, maybe Kyle will have to move out of town, find a job elsewhere, uh, you know, uh, maybe he, he, de I hope he, he goes the heroic route, uh, and, and get some redemption, even if they do end up doing something bad to him. I'm not sure. Uh, I do think it's kind of interesting that, you know, there's, there's been this subtext that, you know, has run through, you know, a lot of the CW verse shows about the importance of the press, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of having that reliable source of information, which is, you know, played up fairly heavily in this episode. But again, you know, you've got this message that the mayor is putting out and the mayor is putting this out by talking to people and saying, oh, that was, it was that Kyle. It's going to take the Smallville Gazette stepping up and saying, no, here's what actually happened. Here's exactly who was responsible. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a role that, uh, that Chrissy and, uh, uh, and Lois can play. Uh, to help. But yeah, my gut feeling is that we're not going to have a, a simple, happy resolution. Like, again, like we would have in the other Arrowverse shows, because the other Arrowverse shows don't really deal with the consequences in quite the same way that uh, Superman and Lois is. Yeah, I don't want doom and gloom to happen now to the Cushings, but I know I was the one that suggested it in the previous podcast. Uh, but uh, oh, if anyone is going to get doom and gloom, I feel like it's, it has to be the Cushings, just like what you said, Professor. The Kents have plot armor. Um, after everything John Henry Irons has gone through, I feel like he's got a little bit of plot armor as well because he has to grow you know, a sort of familial presence on the show before anything bad can happen. Um, to be quite honest, if, if I could scratch something, um, the Kents... The immediate Kent family has plot armor. I think if they ever want to kill uh, Sam, Papa Lane, he could. they could kill him. So I don't think he has plot armor at the moment. So so that could be a tragedy for the Kents. Um, but yeah, the, the Cushings, uh, I think anything could happen. Um, you know, they're clearly not going to kill the little daughter <laughs> because they just brought her back. They remembered that they have a young kid. So it, it really only leaves uh, Kyle. Um, and uh, at this point, I don't dislike Kyle as much as Millie does. 
So uh, I I hope nothing bad happens to him, which is a, a weird statement to come out of my mouth because I did not really enjoy him at the start of the season. But uh, I think he's proven himself to be a good man, um, a man that, that really cares about his family and cares about his small town. So uh, we'll wait and see. But uh, what's happening to them, their reaction to it, I think is really appropriate. Kyle being the one to take it the hardest because he really is getting it 100%. Lana is getting it as well, but she has an incredible amount of strength that she's shown throughout the series' run. So it makes sense that she's the one that's really holding the family together as much as she can. Yeah. So, uh, moving right along... uh, Let's actually talk about a point that the professor brought up because um, the the Smallville Gazette is front and center in this episode. Uh, we get a little bit of uh, friction between Chrissy, the newly uh, bumped up to series regular for season two, Chris, Chrissy Beppo, and uh, star reporter Lois Lane. Uh, Chrissy wants to write an article that, you know, explains as much as possible to the Smallvilleites about what happened. They're waiting for a statement from the DOD when Lois tries to get one. He's like, we're not doing one this time around. Basically, they're not, they're trying not to, if they do a statement, it will legitimize what happened in the town. They're trying to keep all of this that's happened in the town under the radar from the national media. And so when Lois goes back and says, uh, we're not getting a comment, no press release, uh, Chrissy is shocked. And she accuses Lois of uh, knowing more and covering it up and this and that of the other. And she basically says she can't trust her. And after some soul searching and what goes on throughout the episode and conversation and that sort of thing, Lois does end up going back. She returns with a press release from the DOD and she basically tells Chrissy, I'm too close to the story. Like, I can't write the story, but you can. And I'm providing you with as much information as, as I possibly can. And Chrissy accepts it, but there's still a little bit of tension. Chrissy basically is like, you know you're going to have to earn my trust back, you know, after all of this. Uh, Professor, I want to talk to you about this uh, because you are our expert in journalism. What did you think of their storyline? Who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? And I do wonder, because we live in the age of fake news, do you think that the small town, if they, not if, but when they write the article, whatever article that it would be that Chrissy Beppo will be writing, do you think it's going to sway the town? Or do you think the writers could write in a fake news type of story where, you know, the Smallville Gazette writes something and the town is a little bit skeptical? What do you think is going to happen with uh, the Gazette? Because I do feel like, like it's going to play a large role in this, especially because, as I mentioned, the news of Chrissy Beppo, the character, uh, being a series rec- regular for um, the next season. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the scene between them played very well. Both of them were, were very strong and both of them had, you know, good arguments to make. I think um, uh, Bitsy Tulloch was particularly good as Lois Lane. Uh, you know, she was lying, but she was obviously uncomfortable. Like she's someone who, as Clark said, they have played fast and loose with journalistic ethics in the past to hide his secret and stuff like that. Uh, but in this case, she is, you know, lying to her editor and she knows that's something you can't do in journalism. And I think Bitsy Tulloch did a great job of, of playing that in such a way that she, she made it clear to Chrissy that, uh, you know, she wasn't being entirely forthright. I think if Lois Lane wanted to lie to your face, Lois Lane could lie to your face, but she can't really do that to her editor because, you know, she believes in the press and, and all of that. And from Chrissy's point of view as well, you know, she obviously senses that there's more going on here than Lois is willing to share. And she wants Lois to uh, to to uh, explain exactly what's going on. Uh, and in the end, Lois did the right thing, which is that, you know, you should never do a story when you're too close to it. Um, you know, you should never do a story about family or, or business that you have an interest in or anything like that. And so by her basically saying, look, here's my research, here's the notes uh, and everything, you write the story. And, you know, if uh, if Chrissy comes up with stuff on her own or writes it in a certain way, then at least it's not Lois who's doing that. Lois is not going to be 
uh, held back in the same way because, you know, she's afraid she might say something that would, you know, reveal information about, you know, the, the Kryptonians or, or her husband or anything like that. So it was the right thing for her to do. Um, you know, uh, you know, the wrong thing to do would have been to, uh, to spike the story entirely. So turning it over to someone else and letting them write it, uh, it was the right call. As for will the story just be rejected as fake news, I suppose that's a possibility. It is an interesting quirk of, uh, of the way that people view the media. The people tend to view the media the way if you, if you talk to them about, uh, you know, politicians, they'll say, oh, all those politicians are, are the worst. You know, they're, they're just in for the money. No one cares. You know, what about your representative? Oh, no, she's great. You know, I'll vote for her again. She's fabulous. You talk about doctors. No, they're just all in it for the money. What about your doctor? No, we love our doctor and so on and so forth. It's the same thing with local media. People do tend to trust local media more than they do the national media. More people watch local news, read the local newspapers and stuff like that. People do tend to have that. And my gut feeling is that, you know, I don't think they would play the, the fake news card uh, with uh, uh, the Smallville Gazette in the way they would over on Supergirl, where they would have, you know, some big time, you know, some mm-hmm. uh, you know, big city fancy lawyer, you know, or politician rejecting it as fake news. I think it will have whatever they choose to publish. I think it will have a real impact on the community. And I, again, I think it shows the importance of the Smallville Gazette and the fact that we do know that Chrissy is being bumped up to a series regular for next season uh, indicates that, you know, what Lois is doing at the Gazette is going to continue to be an important part of this show going forward. So I, I don't think they would, you know, uh, cut the uh, the Gazette off at the knees if they want to be important for next season. Mm-hmm. That is very true. That's and You made an excellent point. If this was still a show that was dealing with the Daily Planet with Lois and Clark, working at the Daily Planet, I could see them, I can now see them doing a fake news type of thing with the Daily Planet, but because it is the Smallville Gazette, an excellent point, a local paper, small paper, uh, I, yeah, that I think that does kind of give it a little bit of plot armor from that plot, just a tad. Millie, do you have anything to add in regards to the dynamic between Chrissy and Lois in this episode? What did you think of them? Well, I'm glad, like, Chrissy gets screen time because nobody questions sometimes where she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm glad she's, like, able to stand up to Lois. You know, I think that's a big thing um, to do, especially considering, like, Lois is sad. For me, I guess my, my question is, and, and thinking about it as a professor talking, it probably won't, but it's, like, does this set up for maybe down the line, Do like, would Lois ever let Chrissy in on the secret? Like, if all these weird shenanigans keep happening in town, like, how much can she keep covering it up um, for, you know, as a person that she doesn't want to lie, she trusts this person, so how long can you keep doing it when all these, like, weird super things are going on? That's an interesting question. The the response that I would have for you is, I mean, she did it all damn long over at the fucking Daily Planet. You know what I'm saying? Like, she knows how to cover things up. I think this one was especially difficult because it dealt with basically her entire family and that sort of thing. So maybe that's why they, they showed this as, you know, she, she didn't put her poker face on for Chrissy as much this time around. That's my guess. But I I think she'll be fine in the future. Um, in my mind, like in my mind, I was already, when was it? Maybe an episode or two ago, whenever it was when, um, when uh, Lana was, you know, eradicated to speak like um, Superman's mom, I sort of thought, and I think I, I mentioned it on the podcast. I was like, will we get to a point where the Cushings now and I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want Lana and Kyle to know. But I, I thought if anybody in the small town would know first, it might be them. So adding now Chrissy into the mix as another person that could potentially know. I mean, we might get into a situation where it's like the Flash and like everybody knows. And Barry Allen, even in front of villains, no longer has the mask on and that sort of thing. I don't know if I want us to get to that point. So maybe it's best that Chrissy Beppo and maybe even the Cushings don't know that, uh, you know, the Kents are supers-ish, you know? Yeah. Professor, do you have anything to add in regards to Chrissy Beppo knowing the truth? You know, it would be interesting. I don't think there's enough information for her to figure it out. And I think it would be a mistake. Um, uh, Yeah, I I, I 
don't think you should have it being something that, you know, that she can figure out. She's not close enough to the family. And it would sort of, you know, diminish all everyone else who's tried to figure out this secret for the longest time and couldn't figure it out. I think for her to sort of stumble across it in that way. Now, she may come up with the story about that it was, you know, rogue Kryptonians, which is the, you know, the story of the DOD and, and you know, Lois doesn't want to get out because then people won't trust Superman as much. She could absolutely come up with that story on her own. Uh, but I doubt that she'll figure out um that unless they're setting up a situation in season two where she's becoming sort of that Lois Lane figure who is, hmm, why is Superman hanging around Smallville so much? This is mysterious. Um, you know, that might be a role for her. But, yeah, I don't think she's going to figure out that Clark Kent is Superman. Uh, and if she did, uh, I doubt whether she would publish it. But who knows? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Let's talk about the Kent kids. They have their own little adventures uh, playing hooky from school in this episode we're going to talk about jonathan first so jordan and uh, and sarah end up you know leaving because they're not going to attend the assembly that's uh that's um that, that the school is having about the edge situation and jonathan ends up leaving as well this time with tegan wickham remember sarah was like you need to watch out for tegan wickham well, we found out in this episode at least why. So Tegan and Jonathan, you know, it starts off a little flirtatious, very casual, very comfortable, very cool. And it was because Tegan was trying to lull him into a sense of, uh, of you know, confidence, basically, so that she could ask him a whole bunch of questions about, what was going on like your grandfather and your mom and i used to dress up for her as in career day and all this stuff and she just kept on poking him with questions like prodding him with questions and he realized what it was she was like oh like you have questions and you want to be the one to tell everybody and this that or the other and she sort of denies it but it's like a very weak denial she denied it, but she didn't deny it enough to convince Jonathan because he sort of ends up walking away. Yeah, so a little bit of teen drama. Millie, what'd you think of Jonathan with Tegan? Did you trust Tegan? No, she definitely seems suspicious, um, and and I was right. But I feel bad for Jonathan. Like we we talked about, he goes from being kind of the hot shot at his old school here and now he's being used um by you know the pretty girl at school or whatever so um i feel for him i hope he gets more of friends <laughs> down the line um and someone besides just his brother well that's good uh setup it seems like he does make a new friend in this episode so uh, we find out or we figure out that uh, john henry irons is a guest uh, on the Kent farm. His RV is in the barn. He's sort of tinkering and stuff, uh, you know, in the barn with his suit and that sort of thing. Uh, he even gets some free food from the Kents, which Clark said something like, uh, well, you know, you saved my life, so you get free food for life here on the Kent farm. And uh, after the whole Tegan mess, Jonathan ends up running into Irons. Irons is having this conversation with his AI and that sort of thing. And uh, Jonathan, you know, starts sort of asking a whole bunch of questions about the suit and this and that and the other. They almost get a moment to bond, but Clark interrupts and he's like, aren't you supposed to be in school? And this leads into some drama. Uh, for Jonathan, you know, getting grounded and sent upstairs and all that kind of stuff. But we had a little interaction here. And this is now, you know, a, a, a second or third time that um, Jonathan has been really intrigued by John Henry Irons and what he's doing. You know, the time he stayed back in the trailer to watch John Henry Irons' life. Uh, the time that he swiped a weapon from John Henry Irons, and this time he was interested in learning how the suit was built. I don't know if this is set up for anything, but uh, Professor, what did you think of the interaction between Jonathan and John Henry Irons? It was a small interaction, but do you think this is setting something up for the future? Uh, clearly, Irons doesn't have his daughter, at least not yet, here on this earth. 
uh, could Jonathan, I don't, I don't know what the proper term would be, not, maybe fill the void, you know, could Jonathan be an apprentice of sort for Irons? There is a curiosity in Jonathan with John Henry Irons and what he's doing. So I wonder if you think there will be a payoff to it, because I kind of feel like there will be. There could be. I think we might be reading a bit too much into it. I mean, it was just that Jonathan came walking back uh, and, you know, wandered into the barn and they had a moment. It's not that John sought him out or anything like that. So I don't want to to overestimate that. On the other hand, if you're going to keep John Henry Irons around, he doesn't have a connection with literally anyone else on Earth. Um, so, you know, uh, having him, you know, uh, uh, make some ties and, and even having his AI point out that, you know, that is an important thing. Uh, it does give him a possible thing here. It, it would be a little weird, though, in that, you know, yeah, for him to sort of step in and do that, he is supplanting the role that Lois or Clark would have. Um, you know, and admittedly, Clark has been, you know, much more, you know, uh, dealing with with Jordan because Jordan's developing powers. But as we've shown, that sort of, you know, uh, led Jonathan and and Lois to to bond more. And it's it's a little weird if you were going to have John Henry Irons, the person who was married to Lois Lane on another reality, uh, cozying up to her son. In this reality, uh, I'm not sure how I would feel about that. One little thing that I did love about the scene is so Jonathan is talking to uh, to John Henry, and uh, and 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 he's opening up uh, a little bit to him, and then Clark comes in and and basically and Clark's reaction is, "What are you doing talking to this stranger who is trying to kill me?" Clark's reaction is, "Why aren't you in school right now?" And there's this just this brief moment where Wooly Parks plays it as John Henry Irons going, "Yeah, why aren't you in school right now?" And again, that's the reaction of a parent. So he was, you know, he was forgetting about the fact that he should be in school. But as soon as it was brought out to him, he immediately had that very small facial reaction of, yeah, you should be in school, kid, which I really liked, you know, showing, you know, again, uh, John Henry Irons, you know, he he is a father, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, does have that sense of responsibility. I do think it's necessary for Irons to establish some connections. Um, I just I don't know. It, it would feel pretty weird uh, I don't see there any reason for him to be reaching out to to Jonathan. It's not like Jonathan has been revealed to be some sort of engineering genius or anything like that. They did say that, you know, uh, John Henry Irons was an athlete as well. Uh, and John is trying to find his way. So maybe, you know, this will inspire Jonathan to to do something beyond athletics, to to look into that. It might be a possibility, but I think you're you're hanging a lot of suppositions on a very short scene. Okay. True, true. There was that really great line, though, because uh, he was like, oh, I was an athlete, too. And he's like, yeah, I'm an athlete. And I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, you know, you can do more. You can be more than just one thing, which I think, Jonathan, if there was anything that we had to get out of the scene, and, and maybe that was just the moment that we that we needed Jonathan to hear, because he has been kind of stuck in Smallville, I mean, literally, but he's been stuck in, in the sense that uh, he hasn't really connected as much with the town as Jordan has. Like, Jordan has made friends, and Jordan has been popular, and everything has been happening to Jordan, and Jonathan has been sort of like on the sidelines, which is something he isn't used to because he was big man on campus in Metropolis. So maybe this could be a little push for Jonathan uh, for something. We'll have to wait and see. Let's talk about Jordan. So Jordan and Sarah, they end up um, going to the woods, the park, the most beautiful bridge in, like, Vancouver. Like, I have no idea where that is, but it was it was, like, out of a fairy village or something. It was out of a Disney movie. The most gorgeous bridge, storybook-style bridge ever. And they have a moment together. Uh, you know, they're sharing their feelings. And they go in for a kiss. And then the police show up and arrest them. Because I, I guess truancy is like a big thing in Smallville. You get fucking arrested. So they get arrested. Well, they were also trespassing. Oh, they were trespassing? Was there a yes. sign that I missed? Uh, it was said that uh, when the parents arrived that uh, that they were trespassing. And then Lana said, oh, but you and I were there all the time and uh, da 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 Okay, okay. So I missed that. Okay, so they were trespassing as well. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It's a beautiful bridge. I mean, you know, someone was going to want to protect that. <laughs> Somebody has, owns that. 
so yeah, so they were they were trespassing. They are arrested, um, and uh, yeah, he gets a, a tongue lashing from Lois. We don't really see it. But we get sort of like the pre-tongue lashing where she's basically like, I don't even want to hear you. Let's let's discuss this. Um, uh, so uh, so Millie talked about uh, um, Jonathan's uh, truancy. Professor, talk to me about Jordan's truancy. What did you think of his moment with Sarah before all hell broke loose? And uh, what do you think of Lois's reaction to it? It does dovetail another storyline, which I don't want to get to just yet because we will be talking about it in a moment. But I just I liked her mama energy when she found out that uh, that Jordan was arrested. Uh, like there was a lines of the like, you know, this one's skipping school, the other one's arrested. It just it Bitsy Tulloch was fantastic. What do you think of uh, Jordan's uh, truancy, Professor? Well, in terms of his truancy, I, I, you know, it makes more sense because, you know, Sarah, he has, you know, they, they are starting to develop a relationship. You know, it makes sense for her not to want to be there for the, uh, you know, uh, for what's going on because, you know, what she's going through in school is, as they demonstrated. Uh, so for her, him to go off with her makes sense. Uh, and I thought it was great how, you know, when she's basically saying, yeah, I'm just going to be anywhere but here. And Jonathan gives him the look and the little head nod of, no, go with her, you idiot, um, uh, which I thought, you know, totally sold them going there. I was a little bit afraid that they were going to go a little too clever because when they found the, uh, yeah, as you say, the, you know, the sort of bridge that you would only find in Lord of the Rings or something like that. Um, I would be curious to find out, you know, what that looks like in real life. Did they sweeten that in post? They must have. I, I, I mean, British Columbia is beautiful, but that's just insane. Um, I was a little <laughs> bit afraid that, uh, that Sarah was going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. My mom told me she used to come here with her boyfriend in high school or something like that. And, Ooh. you know, make it a little too on the nose. Uh, but they didn't. Uh, and, and the, the scene where, uh, where Sarah says to him, you should kiss me now. And just the look of joy on Jordan's face. It, it was great. And then, you know, to have the cops there and arrest them is, uh, you know, it, it started out slightly comical because the idea of, you know, the two kids, you know, uh, slipping away and, you know, the cops show up. I didn't think they'd get arrested. I thought they were just getting busted by the cops and say, hey, you kids, you know, get out of that, you know, gumdrop tree or whatever it is and shoo, shoo, shoo. Uh, but no, they actually fully got arrested. And as you say. It did bring out the uh, the mama bear energy in uh, in Lois Lane. We'd seen that a little bit, you know, as I said, you know, when, when Clark showed up and saw Jonathan there, his first reaction was, why aren't you in school? And and her reaction is not only why aren't you in school, but also why the hell have you been arrested? Uh, so I thought it was great, uh, you know, and, and we don't want to talk about the other scene. But, you know, I think some of her uh, stress towards uh, Jordan was the, the displaced anger over what mm-hmm. she was feeling. Uh, from the previous scene, uh, but she played it really well, and and certainly her scene with uh, with Clark uh, set that up. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, she's you know, and she's yeah, I mean, she's dealing with so much when you think about it. You know, everything going on with Clark, everything that has just gone on in the town. Uh, you know, the situation that she's having, you know, with her editor at the paper, and then to find out her son has not only skipped school, uh, but has been arrested. Um, it, it's got to just, you know, you know, one thing after another, you know, Lois is dealing with a, a mountain of shit, uh, in this episode and she snaps. Totally. Totally. The kids do get off with a warning, which was nice. Uh, before we get into, uh, what we're going to talk about, the professor knows exactly what we're going to talk about next. Uh, Millie, just really quick. What'd you think of the bridge? Do you, do you believe that's how it looks in real life? Oh, definitely not. I was oh. surprised. <laughs> I, I did. It has to be posed. There's no way it could be that green. But I was surprised they like found a nice, like beautiful looking location that hasn't been seen in other Arrowverse shows yes. since they all shoot in the same area. So it was nice. And I also love the shot of like backing away when they're on the bridge. Um, and I was trying to figure out how they filmed that. Uh, so I thought that it was just really well done and just different. So I appreciated it. If I'm not mistaken, I feel like Superman and Lois actually shoots in a different area of Vancouver. Like they're a little bit out you know, from, like, the city, you know, because they have all that sort of, like, you know, farmland that they're in, you know, with, like, the Kemp Farm and that sort of thing. So I believe I read somewhere that they they shoot a little bit further out than the rest of the Arrowverse, and I think that's why we see different locations than we... I think you're right. They're not in Vancouver proper. They're uh, out... I want to say Burnaby, but I don't think that's correct. Uh, But, yeah, they are shooting in a more rural part of the the province. Yeah. 
Because, like, the rest of the universe, I mean, we do end up seeing similar locations. I remember there was one season where it was, like, Diggle's apartment, but then it was, like, an apartment uh, for, like, some random character on, like, I don't remember what it was, maybe Supergirl or something. Like, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, but that one was incredibly obvious. Okay, so let's talk about the other big uh, issue in this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about Morgan Edge in a moment. We haven't even discussed him. I know that, so we will talk about him momentarily. But uh, a big issue in this episode is Project 7734, which, yes, when you flip it upside down, spells hell. Um, Project, Project 7734, all of the weapons that Lane and his minions... Uh, created to take down a Kryptonian, you know, a.k.a. that could take down Superman. Clark, well, no, let me start off at the beginning of it. Uh, Lane basically says, you know, that he apologizes to his family, he completely understands uh, what Lois has been saying, and this, that, or the other, and after everything that happened, whatever, 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 did I, you know, was I a little... Um, confused and maybe uh, thinking too much about you and what you could do and this other other. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to collect all the weapons. I'm going to collect all the kryptonite. I'm going to, I guess, you know, drop it into the center of the earth, make it disappear. Poof. It's going to be all good. And Superman basically says, I disagree with you. You know, I think you should keep it as a just-in-case. Like, we just had a situation where I was manipulated. I was, you know, they tried to eradicate me, and uh, I had Zod in me, and uh, you saw what I did. Like, you need a fail-safe. Hello, episode title. You need a fail-safe. And uh, after Superman leaves, Sam Lane did something that maybe this is part of his character development, he immediately calls Lois and is like, there's something wrong with Clark. And, you know, basically you need to get to the bottom to it. Like, you need to find out what's wrong with him. What's wrong with your husband? And so we get a conversation between uh, Lois and Clark about Project 7734. And Lois is all for, they need to disappear. What if an enemy gets it? What if someone out there, you know, you have millions of enemies, and what if someone out there gets something like this and they could hurt you? But Clark is really stuck on the fact that, you know, what if I get manipulated again? You saw how easily it happened. You know, what if it happens again? Lois's argument is, but you have a family and we brought you back and your heart is bigger than your mind and this, that, or the other. But, you know, they, they get into an argument, and that is what sort of does end up fueling a little bit of uh, the hell that she's going to wreak on Jordan after he gets arrested. Probably appropriately enough, because, you know, she does need to get him shooketh so he doesn't do that shit again. Uh, but by the end of it, Lois does end up hearing Clark's argument. And... Um, they they end up uh, creating a, um, a sort of like a failsafe, like an actual failsafe, because Clark ends up bestowing the honor of Project 7734 to John Henry Irons, which, you know, uh, he was kind of shocked, and uh, it, it seemed a bit daunting to him, but he does end up accepting the offer. He's like, I'm going to go, you know, call uh, the general. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about Project 7734, Clark's reaction to this, Lois's reaction to this, and the outcome at the end of the episode with uh, Irons uh, being the key holder to Project 7734. Talk about a way to keep him around. You know, this is a way to keep him around. Even though we did have the little line from the AI about the sister. Uh, so there is that. Millie. What do you think of this storyline? Uh, whose side were you on? And what did you think of the outcome? I really liked how they handled the, the storyline because they're able to like let Lois and Clark... Yeah. <laughs> they were able to like have it in a very adult, mature way. Like They both... Um, it's a complicated issue, and there's no like right or wrong. So I like how they're able to explore the gray, because especially coming off the last, episode, last week's episode, um, and Lois is like, you know having that idea of like your husband could just 
obliterated does suck. Um, but I, I see obviously, um, Clark Sideways, like he's this very powerful person and I'm all on his side, um, in terms of it, it's always good to be prepared. And I feel like you could talk to any of their super friends if they ever called them and realize, you know, it's always good to have a backup plan and, uh, you know, just talk to his cousin. Um, and it makes sense because it's like, Hey, you have all this stuff and really putting the ocean, I feel like is a bad idea. I feel like someone's going to find it. So it's good to have it, um, in someone's possession that they can trust and like how it is irons, because it makes sense. Like he knows and he, he's connected to them, but he's also like not connected where he, he would feel bad if he had to pull the trigger. So I think overall it's a really nice arc and it's a great way to like wrap in, um, irons and also wrap in something that they had you know, kind of teased with Sam as well. So it was a nice way to kind of include um, a lot of characters in the storyline that kind of was teased earlier and see it all the way through. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Professor, your take on uh, Project Hell. Uh, what did you think of the storyline? And what did you think of the, the resolution at the end? Yeah, I agree with Millie. It's it's a mark of Superman and Lois that has been a very mature show. You know, they haven't presented, you know, the opposite side uh, as being, you know, one side is clearly in the wrong, one side is clearly in the right. In this case, you know, uh, Clark is basically making the argument that, yeah, I came back this time, but if I didn't, you guys would need this to defend me. And Lois is making the entirely reasonable argument that, A, you're my husband, you would never do that. And also, uh, you know, her argument is that... Um, if these weapons exist, someone else is going to get their hands on them because things always leak. And, and you know, that is an entirely valid argument as well. Um, and we've talked about that, you know, because this has been, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a running, uh, you know, theme in the show for for many episodes now of, you know, uh, of, you know, basically, you know, uh, Sam Lane's got the job to do of protecting people. And that means preparing for the worst, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And, you know, Lois and Jonathan, you know, wouldn't accept that. And early on, Clark didn't accept that either. I mean, think about the first time when Clark, uh, you know, accidentally got hit by a kryptonite based weapon. Uh, and, you know, the anger he had, you know, towards the, uh, the soldiers and towards Sam Lane. And I think, you know, a part of the big arc with Superman uh, or Clark in this, uh, you know, over the course of the season is his realization of, you know, uh, as he said, you know, the control he always has to keep and he was taught control, but he's realized, you know, if he does lose control, you know, just how easy it would be. And that scares him because, you know, that, that again, you know, part of the uh, the heart of truly being Superman and the thing that, of course, Zack Snyder has completely screwed up in his take on the character is that, you know, you know, he's someone who cares so much about people, uh, you know, and if that means, you know, restraining himself to be around them, he will. If that means, you know, ensuring that there is this fail safe in place. Uh, it will be there. And this sort of echoed, you know, something that was in the, the comics, the idea that, you know, uh, you know, uh, traditionally Batman has had, you know, a piece of kryptonite that Superman gave him because Batman is his failsafe, the person who will take him down if he ever goes crazy. Uh, it, it's interesting, you know, to look at, you know, how kryptonite has sort of been nerfed over in this show that, you know, traditionally all you need was one little piece of kryptonite to take down Superman or Supergirl or whomever. But now you need, you know, in this particular case, warehouses full of kryptonite that is just standing by. Um, but I, I like the resolution of it. I think it was the right resolution to have, you know, and Lois sort of came around to accept that, you know, uh, I don't agree with you on this, but you're probably right that it is a necessary thing to do. And uh, and that means that, you know, in the same way that, that Clark has come around, Lois has come around uh, as well. And so it wasn't a simple matter of, uh, her father was saying one thing and Lois said you're wrong and and because it's Lois, she has to be right. You know, they played it nuanced enough that we could come to this conclusion and this realization uh, because, you know, as I say, it was done in a very mature way where both sides had valid points. And, you know, we just don't see that much of that, you know, I would argue in political culture these days, uh, let alone on an Arrowverse show. Uh, and I love the fact that they were able to be nuanced and grown up about that. Uh, and they've managed to, to thread that uh, that needle pretty consistently on, on a lot of the things where a lot of the shows would have just gone for, you know, the cartoonish, uh, you know, the hero is right and the person opposing them is wrong. I think they've, they've been much more nuanced in, in most of the things that they've dealt with on this show. Totally. And speaking of grown-up things, I really enjoyed Sam Lane in this episode. And once again, much like I said with Kyle... At the start of the season, I don't think I would have said that, uh, based off of just his reaction and his actions. Uh, but this time around, like his character development is sticking. The fact that you know he was worried about Clark, the fact that you know after everything that happened, you know he was the one that was deciding to um, you know 
well, since we're talking about er eradicating, he decided to eradicate all the damn kryptonite. Like, it just, it made, it made sense for the character based off of his journey throughout the season. And uh, I, I really enjoyed what they did with him in this episode. Uh, I like that he was sort of like the catalyst in forcing Lois and Clark to have a really grown-up conversation. And I also like that they included that Clark... As Superman, you know, uh, he has been measured, but then he had that moment when Zod was in control where he wasn't. And all of that learning that he had from his father that, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, you're more powerful and this, that, or the other, that he was able to be free and that he enjoyed it. And then that, and that's the thing that he's scared of experiencing again. Like, what if he gets manipulated to feel that way again? I thought that was a really great point and that was expressed really well uh, w with the script um, and, and by uh, Tyler Hecklin, his, his acting. Yes. So... Let's see, I think I've covered everything except for Tal Ro. So let's talk about him. At the start of the episode, uh, like we start off basically with uh, the, the little bit of um, the thing that ended the episode, which was Leslie Lar is out there somewhere. Well, she's on her way to the DOD to do something. But she ends up getting caught. Uh, Superman ends up, uh, you know getting her and she's like it's not over but she gets captured which you know is good i guess uh we see edge twice superman well superman goes to see him first to like ask where lar was but then he gets lar and um superman goes to see him again and that's when edge sort of uh you know, basically tells him, oh, you loved every moment of it, and, and that's what gets Superman sort of questioning, um, you know, uh, everything. But when we see Edge, uh, we get flashbacks. We get flashbacks to the first time that he was, uh, that uh, he was, like, tortured, or one of, not, maybe not the first time, but, like, you know, early on when he's getting tortured by his father, you know, making him pain-free and that sort of thing. And we, we get the uh, origin story of Edge's plan, because uh, Zeta Rowe, Palpatine, he has his own plan, and we have seen the Edge plan in action. So Edge's plan was once he found out about this other Kryptonian, a.k.a. Superman, you know, he was going to approach him, he's my brother, House of L, this, that, or the other, and that, you know, he was going to basically sway him over to his side, and they would, you know, I guess, take over the world and uh, eradicate it to make a new Krypton and all that kind of stuff, take over the Earth and that sort of thing. Clearly, that did not happen. So we got to see uh, Zeta Rose, I guess, failsafe. You know, his backup plan. And that is what we saw Edge start off doing at the end of the previous episode by taking the Eradicator up into the atmosphere, you know, doing the supernova thing. But what happens to Edge is he, we, we get confirmation, I guess, you know, he absorbs all of the um, Kryptonian souls that were in it, and he uh, lets go, you know, he lets go himself. He's no longer Tal Rowe, he's no longer Morgan Edge. Uh, that part of him dies, and I'll put that in air quotes, and he gets taken over by all of the Kryptonian souls, and he becomes the Eradicator. He goes, he flies up, he escapes from the DOD, and he goes up into uh, the atmosphere to absorb uh, a whole bunch of solar energy. Which, you know, that doesn't sound dangerous. And he doesn't sound dangerous at all, does he? Let's talk about... Uh, Edge? Is Edge fully gone? Is he now just this eradicator being? Uh, yeah, w what the hell happened? <laughs> let's, let's discuss this. Professor?
Well, again, getting back to the idea of nuance, you know, it was great that you know, they took the time to show us, you know, his development, because we have gotten some flashbacks before and we speculated, uh, you know, the development of Morgan Edge. And he said, you know, uh, in this episode, you know, quite overtly to uh, to Clark that, you know, if you hadn't, you know, landed here and been raised by the people who raised you, you would have been like me. And I think there's there, you know, is at least potential truth to that. You know, it's it's nature versus nurture. Uh, it was really kind of interesting to find out that. You know, and, and there had been hints of this before, uh, you know, we saw, dealt with the uh, the flashbacks of him talking to his father, that the plan all along was for Talro to sacrifice himself, to become the eradicator. But, of course, to do that, as I said, he sacrificed himself. He loses his individuality. He's no longer Talro. He is something else that is the embodiment of all the Kryptonians. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to, to sacrifice himself. You know, and that's a very human thing to have that sense of and that's why he was working so hard to make the Superman plot work, you know, to find a way of doing this that wouldn't require him to to sacrifice himself. You know, he is an individual. He has, you know, you know, built himself up and and has a sense of self. Uh, And in the end, you know, he wasn't able to to maintain that because his plot fell apart. So I thought that was a very interesting glimpse into, you know, why he's done what he's done, uh, you know, and his motivations. And, you know, it is interesting that, you know. Despite all of that, he was unable in the end to uh, to resist, to to say to his father, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to make this sacrifice because, you know, again, it's your upbringing. You know, even though he may have disagreed with his father, even though he acknowledges that his father was, you know, the worst, um, you know, he's unable to go against that conditioning. He's unable in the end to uh, to say, no, dad, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, And that's, you know, the, the tragedy of this, the fact that he wasn't able to say no. And so, yeah, it does seem that, you know, his his personality has been overwritten by the Eradicator, which seems to be an amalgamation of uh, of Kryptonians. Uh, And, yeah, the fact that, you know, he's that close to the sun, you know, absorbing raw solar energy, uh, you know, is uh, is is probably not going to be good. Uh, You know, I'm sure that when he comes back, you know, as we saw in this episode, the fact the Eradicator seems to work on a different system you know the color palette is different the kryptonite didn't seem to affect him so he's going to come back and you're going to have a situation where you know the uh you know the the weapons that they had to stop a rogue kryptonian i'm assuming will not work against him uh and you know we're going to have you know at least a couple of episodes uh dealing with the consequences of that so yeah i thought it was nice again the 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 nuance the uh i don't want to say humanizing because he's a kryptonian but the the way that we come to understand why talro has done what he's done and has been the way he was. Uh, I thought it was really nicely done. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah. What an interesting turn for this storyline. Uh, Millie, what about you? What'd you think of, uh, everything edge, everything tell row? Uh, yeah. Where do you think this goes? Because it looks like the next fights between Superman and this new being, you know, he's now with the line from Arrow. He has, he has, he became someone else, something else. Clearly, that's what's happened to Edge. Uh, uh, clearly, the fight is going to be different because will he be, you know, a crypt? Is he a Kryptonian? Like, is he? He seems to be now at least like super powered, um, super juiced. I, I, I don't know. If his power set's going to be a little different, uh, clearly the uh, the kryptonite didn't affect him, so that makes him a lot more powerful. Uh, yeah, what do you think's going to happen with the Eradicator? Boom, boom, boom. Oh, well, I definitely agree. Like that much sucking in that much sun power is not going to end well, and I feel like. The team-up that we got between Irons and Superman at the beginning of the episode, um, I feel like maybe it was a tease, and they're going to have to team up even more, or, like, team up again. Um, that's kind of what we discussed. Is it can't just be, I think, Superman that's going to um, defeat the big bad Ed in this case. And I think that's going to be a combi- combination of all of that because uh, Kryptonite didn't work against him. He has weird going eyes like that never ends well so i think they're gonna have to it's gonna be a team effort to really defeat him um mr gp has like he's the eradicator he has all these voices like recipe for just crazy totally do we think I, i mean i don't know if we would want him back but do we think we can get edge back or do you think he's gonna have to be eradicated that's just an open question i don't know if anybody has an opinion 
I think you have to get rid of him. I don't think you can have a rogue Kryptonian wandering around, especially, you know, even if they got rid of all the personalities and it just went back to being Morgan Edge, he's still a Kryptonian. You're either saying that he has to be locked up for all eternity or somehow banished or something like that. And again, as we've said, you know, if if your whole thing, Morgan, is that, you know, you're obsessing over there's no more Kryptonians, there's a whole asteroid full of them drifting off somewhere in space. Just go out and find them yourself. Yeah, but do you think they really want him? Well, maybe. I don't know. They might be more forgiving. All right. You know, I think, honestly, if Tal Ro were to find them, remember what I said, it's his conditioning. Um, you know, sure. him finding out about Superman, him assuming that Superman would reach out to him as a brother, you know, as, as the last survivors. I don't think Tal Ro is, is evil in the sense that his father is evil or Azad is evil. I think he's someone who has this mission that he's been conditioned to do since birth of, you know, saving the Kryptonian race. And, you know, he's, he's struggling to deal with that. But I think if he were in a situation where he, you know, arrived on an asteroid filled with Kryptonians, he would just be like, oh, my God, I'm home. Possibly. Yes. Who knows if he'll find Argo? <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Was there anything that I missed? A tiny little moment or anything that either of you would like to discuss before we head into the MVP? Uh, after Superman and Irons took down uh, Leslie Lar, little fist bump they gave each other, which was cute. Yes, it was. Yes. I'm enjoying the bromance. Fantastic. Let's uh, do the MVP. Most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Millie Wood, your MVP and why. Oh, this was hard. I feel like it was a very like ensemble cast effort. Like everyone did. It was evened out time-wise. Everyone, I think, took their part really well. But for me, I think I'm going to have to give my MVP to Chrissy just for standing up um, and actually having a part this episode um, and kind of bringing Lois back down and, and questioning her. I think I really appreciate that um, bit that we got to see. Very good choice. Professor, your MVP and why? Well, I'll give it to Christy's scene partner, uh, Bitsy Tullock. Uh, again, just, uh, you know, knock it out of the park. Um, you know, uh, not just, you know, her big emotional scenes, but the little things she did. You know, I mentioned that we talked a little bit about that scene she had with Clark, where she was basically saying that, you know, you know, I'm sorry I'm blowing up at you, but I have to keep this anger up so I can scare the hell out of Jordan, uh, which was a very parenty thing to say. Um, her, her reaction to Clark when Clark said the, you know, life in a small town is fun was just priceless. And also with, uh, with Lana, uh, when, uh, oh, Lana was venting about the mayor and he slight pause and Lois steps in, has such a punchable face. And her expression in that was just perfect. You know, despite all the stress they've been going through, the, you know, everything about their kids, she just absolutely nailed it there. So yeah, for me, Bitsy Tullock was once again, my MVP. Fantastic choice. And uh, I am going to give uh, the MVP to Lana. I just really loved everything that 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 uh, she did in regards to the Cushing storyline. She really was trying to be the glue for the family. And uh, she just played it beautifully. Like, everything from beginning to end. Like, you could feel her emotions. They were, like, resonating off the screen. And I enjoyed that. Um, yeah, beautiful acting. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 red capes? The point system is loud, and if you found the episode ex exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Fortress of Solitude. Let's start off with the professor. You know, a very, very good episode, but, you know, Superman and Lois is routinely very, very good, so it didn't rise to the level of spectacular, but, yeah, definitely very, very good. Uh, I, But, you know, uh, an excellent uh, episode. I'll give it a nine. Starting off strong with a nine. Millie Wood, what about you? Um, I, I enjoyed the episode. I think after last week, it, this kind of episode, there was a lot more character development last like a little bit plot movement. Um, it felt like the calm before the storm, uh, setting up all the pieces. So that was a very solid episode. Uh, personally, I don't know if it would be rewatchable. Uh, like, so there's just, I think a lot of just slow movement going on. So I'd have to give it 8.3. We got a nine. We got an 8.3. I will co-sign with the professor. I'm going to give it a nine as well. And I will disagree with Millie Wood. I feel like it is rewatchable. Uh, it was an enjoyable episode that focused on, you know, the small town and small little moments in the town. 
small moments that led to big moments for some of the characters. I, I feel like the emotional stuff, the character development that was featured in the episode was really well done. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Smallville Gazette. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Smallville Gazette and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, Smallville. And Millie Wood. Good night, Smallville. If you want to follow along with me, I'm on Twitter at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Smallville Gazette every Thursday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. A quick programming note. There won't be new episodes of Superman and Lois for the next two weeks, so we will return in three weeks with a brand new installment of this podcast. Good night, everybody.